Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research, and today we have an interview with EPA cybersecurity leaders Douglas Vick and David Travers. Together, they discuss efforts to increase cyber awareness in the water sector and ensure system resiliency. This interview was conducted by staff writer researcher Nikki Henderson. Let's take a listen now. I'm so happy to have Douglas Vick and David Travers from the Environmental Protection Agency joining me today. They will be talking about what EPA is doing to keep our drinking water safe, the role emerging technologies are playing when helping the agency counter threats like malware, and how the EPA is overcoming some of its cybersecurity challenges. So before we begin, Douglas and David, can you please introduce yourselves and give just a brief description of your roles at EPA? Sure. Uh, my name is Doug Vick. I'm the uh, Security Operations Center Manager for the EPA. I've really only been with the agency for about a year. Most of my experience before this has been with the Department of Defense. And what I do is manage the day-to-day -day security operations for the agency usually focusing on vulnerability management and incident response. And again, this is David Travers. I'm the director of the uh, Water Infrastructure and Cyber Resilience Division uh, here at, at EPA. Um, unlike Doug, um, our mission is largely external, uh, which is that we focus on cybersecurity practices at water and wastewater utilities, uh, as opposed to Doug's focus on, I believe, uh, EPA's uh, cybersecurity practices. Um, I've been with EPA for over uh, 20 years. Um, I'm an environmental uh, engineer, and we have a, a staff of about uh, 40 folks uh, working on all hazards, uh, security and resilience, uh, as it relates to the nation's 150,000 public water systems and about 16,000 wastewater systems. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you both so very much. Well, now we can just go ahead and dive into our conversation. Doug, how is guidance from the National Cyber Strategy helping EPA make the nation's public water systems more resilient to cyber incidents and ensuring that drinking water is safe for all communities? Uh, yeah, as I said, our, our mission is focused on the you know, external uh, uh, preparedness and, and resilience efforts of, of water systems. So this question falls within within our bailiwick. So the first of, of I believe, the uh, five pillars of the national cyber strategy is uh, defending critical infrastructure, um, I think, which underscores the importance of protecting our nation's critical assets, including water and wastewater systems um, from cyber threats. So within this, this pillar of defending critical infrastructure, and I should say there are 16 critical infrastructure sectors, water and wastewater systems constitute one of those sectors. So within this pillar, you know, the strategy articulates the expectation that federal entities called sector risk management agencies, or, or SRMAs for short, um, and these SRMAs are the, the federal agencies which have the lead federal role in interfacing uh, on a daily basis with their respective critical infrastructure sectors. And EPA is de designated as the SRMA for, for water sector systems. Anyway, the, the strategy underscores that, that these SRMAs like EPA will support 
owners and operators of critical infrastructure, such as water systems and their efforts to protect their IT and OT systems. Um, so the information, informational technology and, and operational technology systems. So to this end, EPA provides a suite of tools, training, uh, technical assistance, and funding uh, to, to the water sector. Um, so for instance, the uh, EPA, um, my division, we offer the, the cybersecurity evaluation program, which will conduct a cybersecurity assessment uh, for individual water and wastewater systems. And then we'll generate a report that highlight any uh, gaps uh, in cybersecurity uh, and provide that to the, the water system um, for, for their consideration. So we also offer something called the Cybersecurity Technical Assistance Program to support states and water systems and contractors um, in implementing cybersecurity measures. Um, and under this effort, Users can, like states or water systems, can submit questions or consult with a cybersecurity subject matter expert, you know, regarding how to assess and improve uh, cybersecurity practices. Um, and we we try to get back to individuals within, you know, 24 to 48 hours of of receiving the request. Um, and thank you, just very briefly, another pillar that's of great relevance to cybersecurity and water systems involves um, oh, the pillar is something like shaping market forces to to improve cybersecurity and and under this pillar that the federal government has called on to leverage um, uh, available federal funding sources to promote cybersecurity so EPA has emphasized the eligibility of cybersecurity projects under our multi-billion dollar uh, Drinking water and clean water state revolving fund programs, uh, which mm -hmm. which provide monies to the, the states, which turn around and give them to drinking water and wastewater systems. Um, we also have the infrastructure resilience and sustainability grant um, to similarly provide cybersecurity support. And another federal agency, because it's not only EPA that occupies this space, um, the CISA, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, also provides grant funding uh, for cybersecurity and water systems. Um, and finally, uh, the, we also requested about $25 million in the budget for a competitive grant that would help systems build the, the necessary cybersecurity capacity to address evolving so, so those are a couple of pillars that that relate directly to EPA's uh, water security mission. Over. Okay, thank you so much, uh, David. I really appreciate you breaking that down for us. Well, ransomware has become a major concern for EPA following significant cyber attacks on several water treatment facilities. What emerging technologies are being used to better protect these facilities, as well as pumping stations? from malware and other threats? Sure, Nikki, this question is, is for me again. Um, and to confirm, you, you are correct. The majority of cyber attacks against water systems do involve ransomware, which can be you know, highly disruptive to a water utilities and wastewater utilities business and communication processes. Um, usually does not dis interrupt or has have the potential to interrupt water service itself. And these attacks are you know, commonly executed, as you probably know, through various, you know, phishing or social engineering uh, schemes. What's interesting for the water sector, and I'll, I'll promise I'll be brief here, is, is that ransomware attacks 
they generally target the, the IT or business enterprise side of utilities. So things like billing, accounting, you know, email systems, uh, that sort of thing. But, and this is an important point, and why I wanted to make it is recent incidents at several water systems and, you know, high profile attacks, such as the Colonial Pipeline attack, the JBS mm -hmm. meat processing underscore how an attack on the IT side from ransomware can affect the operational technology or OT side. So for the water sector, the OT side would mean the ability of, of utilities to deliver and, and treat safe drinking water or collect and treat um, wastewater. So I just wanted to, to uh, mention that. And just in case you're unfamiliar with the water sector, water and wastewater facilities use you know, operational technology to monitor and operate virtually all aspects of their their systems, um, you know, from intake to, to distribution. So IT, OT, sorry, is, is pretty pervasive in our sector. Um, I would like to, to push back a little bit on the premise of the question, which implies that an effective countermeasure to a cyber threat would necessarily involve a technological solution, you know, often expensive and, and perhaps incomprehensible to a non-IT person at a water utility. In yeah. fact, when we, when we analyze actual cyber events that have occurred within the water sector, what we see are, are basic, very basic lapses of cybersecurity practices. So things like, you know, not revoking the remote access credentials of an employee who has been fired or using something like Windows 7 as their operating system, which Microsoft stopped supporting a few years ago and, and so forth. So in other words, effective cyber countermeasures can consist of pretty basic procedural practices rather than technological advancements. So requiring strong passwords, you know, uh, regular software updates um, like you do on your phone, you know, having backup procedures, an incident response plan, being able to operate on manual, that sort of thing. So these, these are the, the kind of the types of, of low tech measures a water utility can take um, that are proven to be effective against many types of, of cyber attacks. Um, perhaps on the more technologically focused side, um, CISA, the, the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, they do offer a service called vulnerability scanning to see whether a utility has any vulnerabilities uh, in terms of um, access um, from the internet um, that could be used to exploit uh, a water system vulnerability and, and perhaps disrupt uh, uh, water services. So um, yeah, so it's 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 largely a, a kind of a, a procedural practice, uh, not necessarily high technology response uh, that can be most effective. Hope. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Well, the cybersecurity landscape right now has so many evolving threats and many of the priorities across the government are focused on not just mediating them, but really staying ahead to prevent them. So what do the cyber threats look like for EPA? Is there anything unique about the agency that is informing your cyber priorities? Yeah, that's something that I think about a lot. And, and you're right, there are so many threats out there. You really need to look at how to prioritize them. And so you can, you can focus on those aspects of the threat. And what I do is I've, I've used some of my military experience to apply what we call the looking at the most likely course of action by an adversary and the most dangerous course of action. Uh, in this case, the most likely course of action, the most likely threat 
I think is related to the fact that EPA really isn't as high profile as some of these other agencies like the Department of Defense or State Department or Department of Energy. So maybe it's not very likely that someone is specifically targeting EPA on a regular basis. But I do think we present a target of opportunity to adversaries. So if a threat actor is scanning blocks of IPs on the internet, looking for vulnerable assets, maybe they have a, some kind of zero-day exploit in their pocket and they're looking for places to use it, if we're vulnerable, we're going to show up on their radar and the fact that we're a .gov kind of puts that target on our back. And so even if they weren't originally going after the EPA, if we're vulnerable and we're a government entity, that, that really can bring a lot of attention to us and have them pursue us more closely to actually go, go ahead and try to exploit us. So with that in mind, Defense in depth is certainly important, but we really focus on keeping that perimeter as secure as possible because that's where the target of opportunities are, are going to be presented to an adversary. So they may not have specifically been going after the EPA, but if they see that we have that vulnerability, they're likely to, to go after us. And as far as unique aspects of the agency, I think if you ask most people, where is the EPA located? Most people would say, of course, Washington, D.C., like so many other agencies, uh, which is true. That's where our headquarters is. But we're actually organized into 10 regions spread out across the country. Each, each region is doing their mission to protect human health and the environment within those regions. So, for example, there is that train derailment in February of this year in Ohio. Well, that falls under Region 5, which is headquartered in Chicago. So mm -hmm. we have this geographically dispersed organization that has their own IT infrastructure, their own kind of nuances based on, on how they operate. Mm -hmm. So from an incident response and vulnerability management point of view, we're responsible for, for all of that. And one advantage we have to assist in that, to make it a little bit easier, is in each region, we have an information security officer or an ISO. So my team maintains a pretty close relationship with the ISOs to address any security questions they may have or you know, since we have that enterprise level view of things, if we keep on getting the same type of question from different ISOs, then maybe there's some kind of root cause we need to look into to fix some security. And also going in the other direction, the ISOs can act as like boots on the ground in that region to interact with the some of the, the IT admins that they work with on a daily basis to help coordinate something like an incident response, or if there's a, a high priority vulnerability, instead mm -hmm. of having to track down specific admins, we can just go to that ISO and they can help us kind of bridge that gap in, in getting things done at a regional level. 
That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Well, can you tell me more about EPA's vulnerability management team and how it's helping to identify and manage uh, vulnerabilities? Sure. Uh, the vulnerability management team, or VMT, is part of the Security Operations Center division that, as you said, it identifies and manages vulnerabilities at the enterprise level for the entire agency. So the first step in that is really getting information about vulnerabilities. That can come from a variety of different sources. So the primary, primary one would be our internal vulnerability scanning capability, like lots of organizations were constantly scanning our assets to identify any uh, vulnerabilities, any assets that need to be patched. Uh, we also participate in CISA's cyber hygiene program so that our external mm -hmm. scanning, or they, they scan our external assets on a weekly basis. That's the, the same kind of vulnerability scanning that uh, David mentioned for, for other customers. Uh, so that gives us that adversary's view of how do we look from the outside? What do we need to, to patch at a high priority because it's, it's exposed to the internet? We also have a vulnerability disclosure program that is, it's like a bug bounty program where security researchers are permitted to take a look at our websites and our web applications, do some testing, try to find vulnerabilities or weaknesses, and then they let us know so that we can, we can remediate the vulnerabilities. And related to that, we also have a an internal penetration testing program where we have, again, cybersecurity experts who look for vulnerabilities from an adversary's point of view, do penetration tests of specific EPA systems. And the value there, just like with the vulnerability disclosure program, is you have that human expert who's able to goes through some of these complex steps to find vulnerabilities that maybe wouldn't be discovered by just automated scans. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's the first step of identifying it. We're not involved directly with the remediation. That's where we have EPA's IT operations team that has to actually do the remedi remediation fix the configuration or apply a patch. Um, mm -hmm. But we still have a good relationship with them. What I, what I usually say is we want to avoid just throwing the vulnerabilities over the fence. So what, that, what I mean by that is it doesn't help to take a huge spreadsheet of hundreds of vulnerabilities and blast it out to all the admins and say, okay, Go, go fix it, especially with, with such a large organization. Uh, a lot of that is done by routine patching, like when Microsoft has Patch Tuesday, we know those will, will get done. But if we see a vulnerability that's especially prevalent in the environment, we'll work with the admins, let them know, 
let the system owners know that we're seeing this a lot. And if everyone does their part and patches those, those specific vulnerabilities, then it'll help reduce risk across the agency. That's usually a, an easy win if we're able to prioritize. And uh, of course, our public-facing attack surface, like I mentioned with the what CISA's cyber hygiene scanning looks at, is, is exposed to attackers. So that's another thing we prioritize. If it's a, open to the internet, we want to remediate that as a priority. Make sure the admins know about that. So all this is pretty routine, and the real excitement, what I think is excitement anyway, in the, the security world is when we get notified of something like a newly discovered zero day or a vulnerability that is being exploited in the wild across federal agencies, then we have a much higher response rate. We want to take that, take care of that as soon as possible. So what that means is if we get something like that and we see a combination of things like it's a brand new vulnerability, it's being used against federal agencies, it's on an asset that's internet facing, it's something that we have, maybe a software or hardware device that we know we have. Once you kind of check all those boxes off, that's when we drop everything and go into a kind of crisis mode where we start looking at the inventory, verifying version numbers to see if we're vulnerable, uh, reach out to the admins to let them know what's going on. And in that case, we've had situations where um, there's a high prior vulnerability, we'll put in uh, an emergency change and get it done on a Saturday because we don't want to wait until the next week. Because the, the longer you wait to remediate these vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. the more opportunities adversaries have to take, to take uh, advantage of them. So that brings up another aspect of a successful vulnerability management program, which is that trust between the security team and the IT operations team that really does the, the administrative work that you're asking to do in remediation. You don't want to be the sock that cried wolf where everything's an emergency and all you do is say that there's a constant crisis because that kind of desensitizes the IT staff to what you're talking about. And they'll be like, okay, here are the security guys again. Tell us the sky is falling. And they won't have that sense of urgency because we haven't prioritized things properly. Right. So what we really emphasize is having that strong relationship and trust with the information security officers, with the admins, with the system owners. So they know that if we're telling them that something needs to be patched, like right now, they take it seriously. They know that there's a a serious risk to the agency and and it, it really works out great because then they're they're really responsive in in meeting the agency's security needs. Wow, that's amazing. Um thank you so much uh, for sharing that great information. Well, what are some of the cybersecurity challenges the EPA is currently facing and 
what cyber hygiene practices is the agency implementing to address them? It's a, a good question. I think we face similar challenges to a lot of other government agencies in that we have some legacy systems out there. It's common knowledge that the, the government doesn't always work quickly when it comes to acquisition and technology upgrades. So if you have a legacy system out there, it may lack some of those modern cybersecurity features that we take for granted today. You know, David mentioned a, a, a water system that had Windows 7. You know, that's not unusual, uh, something that, that's so old that isn't even supported anymore. You can't have that in your environment without additional uh, additional security controls to, to mitigate those risks. Because sometimes a, a system could be so old that if you upgraded it, it would break. And then you have a choice between you know, having it secure or having it not work at all. So sometimes there's, there's that mm -hmm. trade-off. The good news is that we get a lot of guidance and advice from the Office of Management and Budget and uh, CISA for best practices guidelines to secure these systems by adding on features if possible, uh, features like multi-factor authentication, making sure that data that's in transit and data that's at rest is encrypted. We've done a lot with aggregating logs to help with at an enterprise level to assist in our incident response investigations. So you just don't have logs sitting on individual endpoints. You're able to bring them all together into a SIM tool. So you can look at those patterns. You can see uh, what's happening in, in the whole environment instead of looking at these individual logs. So, mm -hmm. like I said at the beginning, since we're one of the smaller agencies, that also translates to a, a smaller security budget. Uh, but we have a really supportive CIO and CISO. They, they understand our priorities. They guess the resources we need uh, to protect the agency's infrastructure. And we just have to do a good job of determining those priorities so that, that the most important aspects of security can be, can be implemented. And uh, another challenge, again, not unique to EPA, is our current hybrid model of working. We have people come in typically about once a week. Mm -hmm. So uh, the rest of the time they're, they're at home, they're outside of that those on-premise uh, premises security controls. So you don't have necessarily the firewalls and everything protecting uh, their devices when they're on their home network. So when you, have, when you have your employees in the office, you have that really robust perimeter security that you can control, uh, but you still, you have that strong outer boundary. Like so many other organizations, we do telework, so employees have have to do their work on their, their own network. The way that we've addressed that is our IT team has done a really good job 
of building out a robust VPN capability so that it can handle the capacity of all those employees working remotely uh, to make sure that that connection between their home and EPA infrastructure is secure. And mm -hmm. we also try to inform employees that they should, you know, do some basic best security practices at their home as well. Like make sure your, your router is updated and that kind of thing. Additionally, it's, it's kind of a, a, a rule that the end user can be the weakest link in the security chain. So with mm -hmm. that in mind, we have recurring phishing exercises. So that's meant to help employees stay sensitized to the risks of phishing because that's really one of the, the major uh, sources of successful exploitation and security incidents is phishing. It's one of the mm -hmm. most common attack vectors you'll see out there. So we do the phishing exercises and we also combine that with training to show exactly what they should look for in phishing mail, emails, uh, how to make the right decision about whether to click on those links or not. So for example, we have a phishing exercise and an employee clicks on the link, they get training available that will show exactly what they should have looked for in that, in that phishing email, some of those indicators that it's not legitimate. Another bit of training we do is we conduct regular incident response tabletop exercises. So what this does is it lets teams go through a scenario, a cybersecurity event or some kind of you know, malware scenario that maybe they don't run into every day, something like a ransomware attack or a scenario, an exercise scenario where an advanced persistent threat gains a foothold in their system and starts pivoting to other systems. So we, we present them with that scenario and then they walk through the actions they would take in response to that situation. Uh, what we found is that it often leads to improvements in their incident response plans. So maybe what sounded good on paper, once you actually go through the process, it turns out maybe that's not the best way to do things. So then they're able to make improvements to their plans. And another benefit is, we'll use ransomware as an example. You don't okay. want the first the first time people, you know, especially admins or system owners to encounter ransomware to be a real ransomware attack. That's a super high stress uh, situation. So we practice, we go through the steps, the incident response steps they would take so that they're familiar with that. And they're a little bit more comfortable. They have that confidence in their plan because they've been through it before. So that makes them better prepared if a major attack like that does occur. Okay, that totally makes sense. Well, I wanted to ask both of you, is there anything exciting on the cyber front at EPA that either of you would like to share? Sure, yeah, one thing I like to share that's kind of on the horizon for us, we're expanding our existing vulnerability disclosure program that I mentioned earlier. 
to include paid bug bounties. So our, our current vulner vulnerability disclosure program depends on security researchers kind of doing it because they are they're interested in it or they want some of that you know cybersecurity street cred, so to speak. They get our thanks, they get a spot on the VDP platform's Hall of Fame. But to get those really high-performing security researchers who have invested a lot of time and effort in refining those skills, sometimes you need some additional incentives. So uh, to address that shortcoming, we're planning a paid bug bounty event this quarter where we hope that we'll learn about vulnerabilities that are harder to find or maybe require a higher level of skill to understand and report on. So that's what we're all about is finding those vulnerabilities so they can be remediated. And we think that giving that, that monetary incentive to report them will really increase the response that, that, we're, that we've had in the past. So there, we're really excited about that, and we're looking forward to discovering some security issues we weren't even aware of before so we can fix them. Yeah, Nikki, from, from um, the, the Office of Water, where I work, um, with respect to our assistance to water and wastewater systems, um, I'd like to highlight just a, just a couple of things very quickly. One is, is we have released a, a tool that water systems can use to self-assess their cybersecurity practices. It's, it's free, it's on our website. It's called the Water Cybersecurity Assessment Tool or WCAT. Um, and we're encouraging uh, states and technical assistance providers um, who, who uh, are particularly the latter, are particularly prevalent at smaller water systems and, and help them with technical capacity issues. Um, they can use the tool when, when conducting a, a cybersecurity assessment at, at water uh, systems. So um, this tool just contains, again, those very basic cybersecurity controls that are, are needed to build a strong uh, cybersecurity program. And it is, it is, is written for the non-IT professional um, which is very okay. critical when reaching out to um, some of the, the folks within our sector. Um, the other one is I actually want to reiterate that, that EPA will conduct, uh, again for free, uh, cybersecurity assessments for individual water and wastewater utilities through our, our cybersecurity evaluation program, and water utilities can sign up uh, and register for this program on our website. Um, and utilities can work with a, a cybersecurity professional uh, virtually to complete an assessment using the tool I just mentioned, WCAP. And then after the assessment, uh, utilities receive a comprehensive assessment report and risk mitigation plan so that they can begin to address the cybersecurity gaps that the assessment may have revealed and, and track their progress as they hopefully make improvements to their uh, cybersecurity program. Uh, EPA has the capacity to um, conduct many uh, uh, assessments. Uh, we've had about uh, on the order of 380 water systems and wastewater systems participate to date. Um, and we have the capacity to handle many more assessments. Um, so that is a, a great way for water systems to begin their path uh, along the way to greater uh, cyber resilience. Over.
Wow. Well, Doug and David, thank you so much for sharing that exciting news. I'm interested in hearing more about it um, in the future. I really am. Well, um, before we conclude, I just want to know, do either of you have any final comments or remarks that you would like to leave with our listeners? I don't want to be an, an alarmist on this front, but but I do want to underscore that that cybersecurity does represent a substantial threat to wastewater and water facilities um, because, as I said, they use you know, automated process controls and electronic networks to to monitor and operate virtually all aspects of their of their systems, um, and these processes are vulnerable to cyber attacks. And again, both the IT and OT sides of a water system are vulnerable to attack. But the good news is, again, um, that I'd like to emphasize is that um, there isn't a, an, an expensive, you know, technologically advanced remedy to this, but instead there are um, procedural uh, basic cybersecurity practices that water systems can undertake, um, uh, many of which uh, are at little to no capital cost um, that can substantially reduce the um, the magnitude of, of this risk. Um, so, so water utilities have the ability to mitigate this risk, even though it is um, pervasive. Over. Yeah, I'd just like to add that I'm I'm glad that we had this opportunity to share with the with the audience some of the steps that have been taken to secure both the the water infrastructure and the, the EPA's infrastructure overall. I'm a, a firm believer in the in the EPA's mission, even though I don't directly, I, you know, I'm not involved with it directly, but um, me and my team, we want to secure the EPA infrastructure so that the uh, you know, different scientists and geologists and attorneys and everyone are able to perform their mission and perform it securely. That was a very informative and just all around great discussion. So Doug and David, I really do want to just thank you and tell you that I really appreciate you taking out time to talk with me um, about what EPA is doing to, to protect our water facilities and everyone's uh, drinking water, making sure that it's safe. So thank you so much for what you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nikki. We appreciate your, uh, your interest in the subject. Yes, thank you so much. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. <laughs>